Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm here with my partner, Larry Mishkin. Hey, Jim. How are you doing out there in Colorado today? Well, very good. Uh, today was going to be my first ski day. I still have oh, a pocket full of uh, lift tickets that are good for this year at Arapahoe Basin. But um, they were doing a lot of work on I-70. So instead of getting there at 9, I got there at 1030. And then I have to go turn in those last year tickets for this year tickets. And they've reduced their staff so much that the lift ticket, just to buy a lift ticket at 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning was very long and not really moving. So um, I just went into the gift shop. I did a little Christmas shopping and then I went to see my client on the way back down the hill from the Eisenhower Tunnel. So it didn't quite work out, but I did get to... Uh, see a good client in Idaho Springs, and I'll give them a plug, Mountain Medicinals and Idaho Springs, Colorado. Very good uh, dispensary and a small boutique grow. Wonderful. Well, I have to tell you, that's uh, more of an exciting day than I could ever have around here. Uh, <laughs> my excitement is, you know, uh, going over to the Popeyes and finding out of their famous you know, new fried chicken sandwich and having to turn around and come home. But that's just a drive down Crawford Avenue, and uh, we don't see a whole lot of mountains or snow. Uh, but it is uh, overcast and uh, chilly here in Chicago, and we are well on our way into winter. We even had a little uh, light dusting of snow this morning, which just signals that uh, something will be on its way sooner rather than later. Um, so everybody's back to staying indoors, which uh, is going to be uh, very testing for all of us in terms of uh, COVID restrictions and not being able to, to gather outdoors and, and do those kind of things like we were able to do up until this point. Um, but, you know, we'll do the best we can and um, move forward. So lots to talk about today, Jim. And yeah. uh, one of the things that I really think that's worth talking about, and, and it, it, it's important to stop and and take note of this because we, we, we talk about this on a more micro level, but on a macro level, it's, it's nice to, to, to remind ourselves where this industry is at at the moment as we prepare to leave 2020. And I remember, you know, I, I, I mentioned probably way too often uh, that um, MJ Biz Conference that you and I both attended in Seattle in 2013, way, way back when I was first getting my feet wet in this industry. But I still remember sitting there looking at some of the numbers that people were putting up on the, the board in terms of where the market will be in 2015 and where it'll be in 2019. And I vaguely remember that somebody said that by 2020, uh, you know, that the legal marijuana industry, you know, could be as much as, you know, 20, 30 billion dollars a year, maybe. Um, and, and I don't know what, where we're at right now nationwide in terms of, of legal sales. I know. States are breaking records all over the place, so I imagine that we're, uh, we're 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 pushing those kinds of numbers. But the numbers that I hadn't really anticipated were the numbers in terms of valuations and and the big business deals that go down. And you and I were noting before the show, uh, you know, a, few, a couple of months ago there was a greenhouse here in Illinois that sold all of its holdings for eight hundred and fifty million dollars, and everybody was ooing and eyeing about that. But right now, in, in, a, in a span of just about a week, uh, we have five major deals going down. Weed Maps just went public with a $1.5 billion valuation. Uh, Verano went public with a $2.8 billion valuation. Um, Verano is, is, is buying and selling in, in the market, and we'll talk about all of these individually in a minute. 
And Cresco just extended a loan and boosted the size of its debt funding to over $200 million. These are big numbers. These are like real business numbers. It is very interesting. Um, when you talk about weed maps, it reminds me of when Facebook went public at, I forget how much a share, $80 a share or something like that with a tremendous valuation. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, that's way overpriced. Uh, how are they ever going to recoup their investment? But um, now, you know, Facebook has gone on to become a standard in uh, American, um, basically social um, intercourse. Um, it's right. Like the post office. So, uh, yeah, this weed maps deal at $1.5 billion um, could be a very good deal for the investors uh, going forward if it turns out to be anything as successful as, you know, a Facebook model. Right. And and that's a very good point. But, you know, I'm just still blown away by the fact that, you know, we're talking about, you know, in essence, what's an app for people who are interested in finding marijuana stores. Right. And one point five billion dollar valuation. I mean, that's 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 not insignificant. You know, that that's that's Wall Street Journal type of stuff. Yeah. And they, um, you know, they derive their revenue from marijuana businesses that that pay them. Um, You know, some people who uh, complain about weed maps is they will not send you to the closest dispensary to where your location is. Uh, they'll send you to the closest dispensary who is paying weed maps to um, right. drive traffic to the to their stores. So you can right. be standing 10 feet from a cannabis store and weed maps won't take you there. It's one of the complaints I've heard about it, but, you know, it's definitely a, a pay-to-play platform. Right, exactly. And, it you know, and it's, it's uh, I mean, it's taken off if, if, if it can garner that type of valuation. But now let's 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 move a step down. Verano, which is a multi-state operator, they're based here in Illinois, and they're just one of the many uh, Illinois success stories. We mentioned Greenhouse a minute ago, and Cresco a little bit earlier. Um, Revolution and GTI, the these businesses coming out of Illinois are, are just unbelievable. And and Verano is now going to go public with a 2.8 billion dollar valuation. Uh, what I read is that they're hoping to raise between 50 to 100 million dollars in capital. Um, and that they are re- ready to acquire uh, a company called Alternative Medical Enterprises, AltMed. Uh, and this is just three months after uh, they had agreed to purchase Harvest Health and Recreation out of Arizona for $850 million. Only that deal collapsed at the last minute. So here's Verano that's obviously in a very cash-rich position, I would say, based on what these uh, acquisitions they're trying to make uh, you know, and going public at such a large number. Um, you know, this, this company didn't start until 2013 and in Illinois, it's been nothing but medical until the beginning of this year. And, you know, these guys are good businessmen and they've gone out and they've been able to expand like the other multi-state operators, $2.8 billion. I mean, that's like, you know, buying a football team in the NFL now. I mean, that's, that's, that's real valuation. Yes, it is. As you've heard me say many times, when you add the rapidly shrinking illicit market with the legal market, you get a hundred billion dollar year industry, which is about the same as beer. Think about the money that's spent on advertising for beer. Think about, you know, its positioning in liquor stores and grocery stores. So yes, cannabis, as I've been saying for a long time, is and will be 
a legitimate market the size of, of beer, in my opinion, $100, $110 billion in sales per year. And that's happening faster than we think. Uh, I'm even In my world, which is uh, private equity, um, we do a little bit of work for the publicly traded cannabis companies, but most of our clients are privately held. And we're starting to see uh, investment capital loosen up there since the election as well. Uh, it seemed like nobody wanted to invest in cannabis during the pandemic, even though cannabis sales were setting records nationally, as well as here in Colorado. Record sales here in Colorado, $2.2 billion for 2020. So, yes, we're seeing um, a lot of activity and a lot of um, capital loosening up in the private markets as well, as well as the traded companies. Well, and like we said, the, the, the next story down the line with Illinois Roots is Cresco, which now has uh, boosted up its debt funding to over $200 million. Um, I, you know, I, I, I love this because, you know, when you're talking about debt funding at $200 million, you know, some of the biggest complaints I get, you know, from some of my obviously much smaller clients are, where can I find funding for my cannabis businesses? I just want to open up a dispensary. I just want to open up a cultivation center. I can't find anybody who, you know, who's willing to invest with me, you know, and then yet here we are, you know, Cresco needs $200 million. Boom. Now they've proven themselves over time that they're a very successful business and, um, and all of that, but still, you know, to, to imagine that we're sitting here, you know, just having casual conversation about all these different companies all engaged in, you know, hundred million dollar plus deals, um, just speaks volumes about how this industry has really taken hold in the United States. And even though uh, it's still not legal, can you imagine what kind of deals will be talking? In fact, right. These, these, these deals going public all have to be done on the Canadian exchange. Yeah, there's still, there are some players on the over-the-counter market here in the U.S., but um, they're definitely in the minority. And um, also since the election, the price of the Canadian cannabis companies has continued to rise. Okay. So, but, I mean, what's, what, what, what kind of numbers are we going to be looking at when marijuana goes legal on a federal level? Well, at some point, you're going to hit the ceiling on consumption. Uh, once again, comparing it to beer, uh, beer sales in this country have been, no pun intended, flat for a dozen years. What's going on in there is the entrance of the craft brewers eating into the sales figures of the Budweiser's, the Bud Lights, the Coors and all that. Sure. At some point, you know, only so many people smoke marijuana in this in the country. You know, some people smoke a lot. Some people, you know, take one or two hits a week or that's about it. So at some point, you are going to hit that $100 billion market cap on consumption, and then it'll be like the beer companies cannibalizing each other. But we've got a long way to go, and still, you know, Budweiser <clears throat> is a very valuable company. They were bought, I forget the number, that they were bought for by InBev a few years ago, but it was definitely in the billions. Oh no! It was it was probably close to five billion dollars. I'm from St. Louis, and that that was big news in St. Louis when uh, they sold out to a, a a foreign company and took ownership outside of the city. People were very uh, upset to see them go. Yes, I remember that as well. Having a lot of good friends in St. Louis, um, having toured the Budweiser plant there. Oh yes, they're very hospitable hospitality room. Well, as one of my very smart business associates was we were talking about this very subject and i said um 
you know, I compare it kind of to beer, to beer. And he said, yes. He says, in my dispensary, I have ounces that sell for 75. This is Colorado prices now. Sure. That sell for $75. I have ounces that sell for $250. You go into a liquor store, <clears throat> you can buy a six pack of beer for $5, or you can buy a six pack of beer for $15. Right. So, very, very similar. And I think um, this industry should pay attention to the liquor industry, beer and wine. I think there's a lot of similarities and a lot of things this um, very uh, new um, to the legal markets anyway. Industry can learn from some of our old companies that are around that have also sell intoxicating products. Right. And, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of cross ownership, I think, as well. Certainly uh, in Illinois, there is uh, Ben Kovler, who's one of the big owners of uh, GTI, is from a family that's been very involved, I think, with the Jim Beam uh, distillery for a long, long time. His family uh, had some ownership of that. So, you know, there is definitely some cross ownership of, uh, and, and wasn't Seagram's getting involved as well? I thought that I read that uh, Seagram's was trying to get invested. Yeah, you've got me on that one. So I don't know. At any rate, it's uh, it's huge and it's it, it's great to see. And, um, you know, there's going to be uh, it, it's just going to continue to grow for a while, which is good for guys like you and me. It's great for our clients. Um, and it, it's it, it's nice to see that the industry, you know, has really taken off and that, uh, you know, now the, the, the question is, can we, can we get this fire up and blazing? But, you know, can we control it so it doesn't burn out of control? Well, it's good to see the investors coming back in. It reminds me of an episode of Emily in Paris I saw the other night. Yeah. So, uh, such a good show. And, and you know, the millennials got to love it because uh, Lily Collins is, I think, 32 years old, maybe 33. And uh, so it's really about her generation and how they look. Okay. At her um, lover is a gourmet cook in Paris, and but he doesn't have any money. And so he's trying to get his restaurant open, but he doesn't have any money. And one of um, the rich business people in the show says to him, well, in, with the French accent, of course, well, isn't that what investors are for? <laughs> have yep. you seen that yet, Larry? I have not, but I will. I will have to uh, add that to my list of shows to watch. We're we're always looking for a new one that we can uh, you know watch as a family and have some fun with. Right, and I think I mentioned last week that's Phil Collins' daughter. Oh, okay, very nice. Well, then we will add it to the list and and, and make our way over to that. That's good stuff. I like that. Something else I wanted to talk about that I saw, uh, and this is interesting and funny and frustrating all at the same time um, that the federal government has renewed its exclusive license with the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, down in Oxford uh, for federal marijuana research purposes. Uh, Ole Miss is the only university uh, that's licensed by the government to grow marijuana for research purposes. They've had this exclusive deal with the federal government since 1968. And they've now renewed it again. And I don't know how much you've heard about the, the grow down there in Oxford, but 
for years, there was always a lot of joking in, in my circle of friends about how, oh, you know, go to work for the government and get a job working down there in Oxford, or you got to move down to Mississippi and know somebody who works at the federal grow in Oxford. And there were these rumors of people who got free joints from the government. And then, in fact, a few years ago, there was an article, we may have even talked about it on one of the episodes, about the, there was at some point in time uh, some number of Americans who were designated by the government to receive regular free supplies of marijuana from Oxford uh, because they had been parts of research studies that the government had been doing. And when the studies ended, they were still allowed to do it. And then they closed the program. So these are the, you know, when these, however many people are left, 10 or less are done and gone, then that program will be over. They're not adding new people to it. And once a month or once every two months, they get a big round tin of pre-rolled joints of this government grown marijuana and you know the story these days is it's pretty bad marijuana not a lot of thc uh not very tasty not the kind of thing that you would ever find you know even on the uh, bargain basement shelves of the uh you know b-rated uh, dispensaries operating out of the back alleys it's just not good stuff and i think that's frustrating for a lot of people because if you really want to test marijuana and you really want to know what's going on with it, you really got to be testing the marijuana that's being grown today. And there's no reason for the government not to be on the cutting edge of marijuana. In fact, let's not forget, you know, it was the government that invented LSD. It was the government that came up with all sorts of different ways um, to use drugs and to take drugs that, you know, to some degree have been co-opted by people, um, you know, uh, who, who take recreational drugs. But, I would think that they would want to be growing the very best marijuana around and really kind of pushing the envelope on what could be done, uh, you know, to really be able to explore what's going on with this. And quite frankly, I'm surprised there's not more universities making a fuss about trying to get in and get a piece of the action. Well, of course, Louisiana has the two universities um, who are cultivating, um, mm-hmm. trying to think of the names of them off the top of my head. Um, but Mississippi of course, was one of the five states that moved into the legal cannabis world this past election. Yes. Medical only at this point in time, but they're moving forward. And um, we've already had a couple of phone calls of people looking for accounting firms for cannabis companies that want to open up in Mississippi. So they're moving into it. Uh, But yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. Louisiana has a couple of cultivation programs and God, I just wish the names of the universities will come to me here shortly um and and i don't want to misspeak uh, and say the wrong wrong name but um southern something is one of them i'm trying to think of it but anyway okay so well yeah so across the country north and south east and east and west it's on the uh, rise as you know rough of a year as 2020 has been you know the covid uh issues have really boosted sales for the legal cannabis industry yeah, it's been pretty amazing. And you and I have kicked around these numbers. The, the numbers out of Colorado are unbelievable. The numbers out of Illinois are very, very encouraging, if not extremely frustrating, because it just gives us a taste of how much more money we could be making if the state would get its act together and issue these licenses. And sorry, I just have to rant about that once a week because it's mm-hmm. aggravating. Well, 2021, maybe we'll get banking. Um, 
Yep. The Safe Banking Act is still kicking around out there. The the Moore yeah. Act is kicking around out there. All of these acts. And, uh, you know, we'll know more after the first of the year. We'll see uh, how the uh, Senate is going to be controlled and whether that's going to make a difference in, in what uh, what acts get put forward and what acts don't. Um, and, you know, I, I think that either way, Jim, it's just going to reach a point when you when you start talking about businesses, you know, doing deals in the numbers that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, Congress can't ignore that anymore. They, they have to sit up and take notice of the fact that this is a real business that's generating real numbers. And, you know, they, they need to come up with laws that will be encouraging to this industry and not uh, disruptive to it. Yes. And not just the government, but Wells Fargo and Chase. Um, yep. Visiting with a client the other day who had just lost their checking account again here in Colorado. Um, the bank noticed that uh, the marijuana name on the check and closed their account. So um, it's still um, very tough out there. No credit cards, no merchant services. Uh, you can use a debit card and then go add $3.50 to your purchase by using right. a debit card. It'll round it up to the nearest um, 5 or $10 increment. So still a lot of challenges, but, um, you know, it seems like, you know, people were very concerned about the black market, not the black market, I should say the illicit market continuing like in Colorado. And I said to the DA, one of the federal district attorneys, I said, why would there be an illicit market in Colorado when there's a dispensary in every corner? And he said, because they think they can come into Colorado and do whatever they want and then ship the product to the other states. So the issue, in my opinion, is not Colorado, but the other states coming on board, which which is happening, which is happening faster than anybody could have ever predicted. Right. Yeah, faster. It, it really is amazing to see the number of states and, and how quickly. Well, this is all good stuff. Um, let's turn to music for a few minutes, though. Because yeah, we have not- about 10 minutes or so for this episode. Yeah, and be nice to go over a few things here. You know, generally speaking, uh, not a whole lot going on. Um, last weekend, uh, J-Rad uh, did a birthday jam uh, on uh, the 18th, which was an all-day uh, from 12 noon Central Time. They jammed all day. Uh, unfortunately, I can't tell you about this show because we're actually taping the week before. Uh, but by the time you listen to this show, J-Rad will have performed, and I hope uh, many of you will have had a chance to listen. I know I'll be listening to that. Um, I love J-Rad and uh, think that they're as good as any band out there, uh, maybe even as good as Dead & Company in some respects. Um, and they, they really put on a good show. So uh, I'll certainly be looking forward to that. And Dan uh, Hummiston, our producer, was also kind enough to share with us that there's going to be a, um, a live stream on New Year's Eve uh, featuring Bob Weir and Wolf Brothers. And they had toured last year and a little bit earlier this year. Um, and I don't know if you saw them, Jim, or if you had a chance to catch that tour, uh, but they'll be playing on New Year's Eve in a live stream as well. Uh, so that, you know, it's nice to know that there's going to be a, uh, an opportunity to pick up a little taste of dead, uh, over the holidays. Yes. We'll definitely look forward to that and look forward to 2021. Um, they started administering here in Colorado. They had it on the news, uh, uh, a gentleman, probably 60, 70 years old up in Fort Collins, got the first COVID vaccine dose uh, injected um, in Colorado. And um, nice. that's happening in Illinois as well. 
Yep, yep, yep. The, yep, the doses are starting to show up and, you know, everybody's trying to figure out who gets it and when and how that's going to work. And we'll see. But, yeah, the, it, it, it is on its way here. And, uh, look, uh, that's a remarkable achievement that, uh, you know, people were able to pull together and, and come up with a workable, safe vaccine in such a relatively short period of time. And um, it'll be nice if it, uh, you know, puts us all back in a position where, uh, you know, we can start to socialize again and do things like pack ourselves into small buildings to listen to live music and and that kind of stuff. Um, yes, that's actually where I was going with that is it'll be interesting to see how long it takes this vaccine to work its way through. You know, yep. until we see a dramatic drop in uh, deaths and hospitalizations and positive tests um, because if there's going to be any shows and tours in 2021 right now is when they'd be signing contracts. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. The next um, six to eight weeks are critical. If there's going to be any summer music in 2021, uh, you were talking about Jay Brad. I was lucky enough to see him at Red Rocks a few times uh, mm-hmm. here. And for those uninitiated, Jay Rad stands for Joe Russo's almost dead. Thank you. Now we're at a crossroads with the vaccine and contracts for summer concerts. So we'll see how the next 60 days play out and if people start to feel confident enough to rent out venues again. Well, I can tell you this. um, There are some venues in Chicago. I I have a neighbor uh, who loves to go to some of the smaller venues and see some of the smaller acts and will reach out to us from time to time. And we were recently bemoaning the fact that there just hasn't been anything. And then lo and behold, today, uh, he sends me over a text uh, that says that uh, Peter Rowan is uh, looking to uh, have a concert here on May 16th, uh, and they're selling tickets for it. Peter Rowan uh, for Deadheads uh, had some fame playing in uh, uh, Olden in the Way, the, uh, the the country blues band that uh, Jerry Garcia and some of the guys from New Writers of the Purple Sage played in for a while. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's good music. It's fun music. Uh, Peter is a very enjoyable guy to see in concert. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, as much as I want to make sure I have a ticket to be able to go see him, you know, I'm very skeptical about shelling out the money now for a show that's five or six months away. Uh, if, if this vaccine works and we're at a point where we can go and do it great, but if not, is it an indoor or outdoor venue? Uh, it's an indoor venue. So mm-hmm. although they do have the option of, of moving outdoors, but the problem is, you know, in, in the Chicagoland area in May, there's just no guarantee. It could just as easily be 40 and rainy as it could be, you know, sunny and nice for something outside. The real outdoor season doesn't kick in here until typically after Memorial Day weekend. Sure. And in Colorado, it can snow in May and frequently does. Right. <laughs> exactly. So so that's good. Um, one other thing that we had touched about that I thought that this is just something that just fascinates me. We all talk about the dead and, and, you know, how productive they are as a band and, and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, we've touched from time to time on the songs and the sources of the songs that they play. And they are prolific songwriters. And we've talked about Jerry and Bobby and uh, Robert Hunter and John Perry Barlow. I mean, these guys were just unbelievable. But yet peppered throughout all of the dead's concerts over the years were any number of different cover tunes. Um, and they, there were some bands they covered a lot, some bands they covered a little, but uh, Dan Humiston again found a great article for us the other day that I was reading through uh, that was an interview with Dave Nelson of New Writers in the Purple Sage fame, uh, Jerry, who uh, played uh, a lot of times with them, and sometimes they would open for the dead as part of a, a long evening of music. 
And he told a story about uh, what happened the first time he ever heard the Beatles, not in concert, but just heard their music uh, back in uh, the early 1960s. And he and Garcia were hanging out in, in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And uh, Garcia called him up and said he was going down to a certain uh record store where they would spin the the newest music and so dave nelson says i went down there and i met him and the group they were playing was the beatles and uh they went they sat and they were listening to it and then i want to hold your hand and um and the way dave nelson describes it is after every song we'd kind of look at each other and i was going oh this is going to make me puke man and he jerry said oh no give it a chance you know let's listen with an open mind and after each song, you know, they were like, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, good harmony, like a little bit of bluegrass. Uh, we finished the album. We both looked at each other and said, okay, what's the verdict? What do you think? And we both gave it the iffy sign, not the okay sign. It was iffy. Okay, fair enough. You know, that was back in the day, and it was probably a new, uh, you know, a new tone for all of them. Two things, though, to take note of. In the electric Kool-Aid acid test, Ken Kesey writes about how when the Beatles came and played the Cow Palace in California and 64, 65, or 66, or somewhere in there, uh, how all the merry pranksters and the dead and all of them all jumped on the bus and all went to the Cow Palace to see the show because they were all so excited to go see the Beatles, um, and they did. It was a, it was a big uh, it was a big happening, but but here uh, to get back to what we were talking about in terms of songs that they play, you know, if 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 of um, uh, you know. Playing somebody else's music is the greatest way that you can honor them, and uh, the, the the Dead did that quite a bit. And uh, if you look over the list of Beatles tunes that the uh, the Dead covered over the years, it's it's impressive both in the number of songs they played, the variety of songs that they played, how they played them, who played them. You know, and we're, and we're talking about you know everybody remembers that now they come out of Dear Mr. Fantasy and they do the Na 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 Hey Jude reprise, but. What people don't know is that on a couple of occasions, uh, rare, very rare, only two or three times, the, the, the dead played the entire song. Once back in the Fillmore in uh, March of 69, and then once up in Ontario on the 1990 spring tour when uh, when Brent sang it. The first time Pigpen sang it, and it doesn't sound very good, but at least they're playing it. Um, they covered Revolution, and I have to tell you, Jim, I was there for the breakout of Revolution at Madison Square Garden in October of 1983, and the night before, they had played the first uh, St. Stephen in five or six years, and it, as it turned out, it was going to be one of the last St. Stephens ever, uh, but we were there for that. But the big news for a lot of people was that the next night, the second night of the two-night run, for the encore, they came out and they broke out Revolution. And uh, the place just went wild. You know, as loud as they cheered for St. Stephen, uh, you know, Revolution is just one of those songs that, you know, just it means a lot to a lot of people. And, um, you know, and, th and they really ran with it, um, you know, for 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 later deadheads, of, you know, of the more recent vintage. Uh, once Vince Weldick joined the band, uh, he dropped in his standard um, uh, um, uh, encore performance, which was uh, the. Uh, the Who's Baba O'Reilly into the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. And that I was, was just going to say, Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah, and that's a great old trippy Beatles tune, you know, that that really sp speaks to a lot of people. And then for a while they, they were covering She Said, She Said and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And I remember when they broke out Day Tripper, we were all out for the New Year's shows in 1984. And we saw them play Blackbird at uh, um, Poplar, at, at um uh, Alpine Valley and uh, 
they started singing it and over and over they kept cracking up in the middle of the song and had to go back and start it. It took them about five times to get their, their way through the song. And then Phil would do his Why Don't We Do It in the Road with the big bass. They covered Rain, It's All Too Much, Come Together. And then even after that, you had Phil Lesh and friends covering Get Back, Strawberry Fields Forever, I Am the Walrus, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And Jerry regularly played Dear Prudence and a jam that I recommend right now to everybody. And Jim, you want a homework assignment? Here it is. Jerry Garcia Band, Keene College uh, in New York, 1980. It's a three-disc set. You can get it. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. And what you want to look for is the the Jerry Jam where he does After Midnight into Eleanor Rigby. And what he does, he starts off playing After Midnight, and he plays and he plays it really well and then between the second and the third verse of after midnight he breaks off into this long jam that just goes on forever and all of a sudden you realize that he's playing Eleanor Rigby he never sings it he just plays it but it's tremendous playing he goes through pretty much the entire song and then he works his way back into after midnight uh to close it all out but it's it's tremendous yes I actually believe I have that CD set on my uh, iPod, and I believe, though, uh, minor correction, Keene College, I believe, is in New Hampshire. You could very well be right about that, and I will, I will accept that uh, that correction in the spirit in which it's intended. But, but that's, I mean, boy, you, you sit down and ask people to start naming their favorite Beatles songs, and you know, a lot of the ones we just named are going to turn up, you know. Uh, and that's great. But I, I really like, you know, which, what, what people might call, you know, the back catalog stuff, right? Um, Tomorrow Never Knows, which never really got a lot of popular airplay. She said, she said, um, uh, why don't we do it in the road? You know, such an obscure tune off of the White Album to pluck out and, and, and drop out there. But nevertheless, you know, I, I think that it speaks to the um the, the level of admiration that the dead had for the beatles and, and and what the beatles meant to the whole rock and roll scene and and really to the psychedelic scene the beatles really kind of kicked that off yes there's a um a story i think it's true that john lennon could not attend the monterey pop festival in 1967 for some reason he had trouble with his visa or his passport but he sent his photographer to take pictures of the event for him and the photographer came back from, and it was the 1966 or even 65, possibly Monterey, but it was 66. Okay. The photographer came back with a lens full of LSD tablets or capsules. <laughs> and a few months later came Sergeant Pepper. Okay. Well, there you go. That would explain it, wouldn't it? Now, I don't know how the truth to that is, but. Uh, it's okay. It's, you know what? It's a good story, and we'll stand by it until somebody with knowledge can deny it otherwise. So, or, or confirm it, or, or confirm it as the case may yeah, be. As we come to the end of our half hour or so show, um, I want to just tease a subject for um, maybe it'll be into uh, one of our 2021 shows. But yeah, car today driving up to the mountains and um, got to listen to most of the big Steve hour. And boy, what a treasure trove he is! There's probably nobody on earth who spent more time with Jerry Garcia because not only was he a, a roadie and then later on a manager for the Grateful Dead, but he also was Jerry's roadie for the Jerry Garcia band. Yep. And they spent yep. a lot of time together and he has so many insights onto, you know, what he thought about this or what he thought about that. And, 
you know, how he would smoke a cigarette before he went on stage because he was nervous and wanted the show to be good. But I mean, that big Steve hour is really become a true treasure. And I couldn't agree with you more. I it's probably a, uh, a pipe dream for the marijuana deadhead cannabis show, but, uh, Boy, wouldn't it be great to have Big Steve as a guest sometime? Uh, you know, I would love just to be, even be able to talk with him for five minutes. He put out a book called Home Before Midnight. I read it. And it, it's a collection of some of these stories, and the, the stories are priceless. If, if you are a fan of The Grateful Dead, if you're just a fan of rock and roll and what goes on behind the scenes and any of that kind of stuff, it, it, it's just absolutely priceless. Some of it's sad uh, because he does talk, you know, with obviously a lot of pain, uh, uh, in his voice about, you know, Jerry's, uh, you know, personal demons and his, his heroin problems and, uh, ultimately his, his unfortunate demise. Um, but it's, you know, it's done in a way that's respectful and it, it, it gives you the insight of somebody who was on the inside and was, you know, with Jerry all the time. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's a great, great book. And I, I would highly recommend it to anybody again, whether, even if you're not such a big dead fan, it's still great. And yes, you're, you're absolutely right, Jim, you hit the nail on the head. I, I listen to this big Steve hour whenever I can. And it, it's just wonderful. It's like, you know, it's, it's like sitting in a room with Grateful Dead royalty. And each week, just hearing a little bit about this and a little bit about that. And you can learn so much about the band and so much about the the players just by listening to the stories that, that he tells. Yes. Well, I think that's about the end of our time slot, unless you had anything you wanted to add there, Larry. Nothing other than uh, I would like to wish all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas, um, which uh, should be just within a day or two of this uh, podcast airing. And uh, for those of you that do celebrate the holiday, I hope you have a really nice one and that it's enjoyable. Uh, you get to stay healthy and uh, have some fun. Yes, and we're coming to the end of Hanukkah as well. We are. We're just wrapping down the end of that. And uh, listeners who want to go to our webpage will find the uh, uh, rather humorous uh, uh, steal your face uh, Hanukkah logo that's been floating around. And uh, I, I got in and was able to share it with Dan, and I, I believe he was going to post it for us. But uh, I found that to be rather humorous. But yes, we're, 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 we're winding down. Uh, we have tonight and tomorrow night, and then Hanukkah is all over. Uh, and then uh, we all turn our attention to Christmas. And one of my favorite holidays, New Year's. New Year's is always a good one, especially if you're a dead or a fish or any kind of a live music fan. Um, you know, like we said, this year obviously won't be the same, but the beauty is there's so many fish and dead New Year's shows out there that you can just go back and throw a dart at one and whichever one you hit you can pull out and listen to it. It'll be amazing and fun to do for New Year's Eve. Yes, sir. <clears throat> All right. So to all our fans out there in dead Grateful Dead and Deadhead Land, um, this is Jim Marty saying uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year as we wind up 2021, or excuse me, 2020. Larry, um, you can sign us off, please. Thank you so much. Great to speak with you as always. I hope you get your skiing in very soon. And uh, the weather and the traffic and the lift lines cooperate with you, which I know is a big part of the battle out there. Um, I will say uh, also good night uh, and goodbye to all of our listeners for this episode. Uh, as always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Uh, we will look forward to having you back again next time. Again, Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Uh, stay healthy during the holiday season. Listen to a lot of Grateful Dead and enjoy your marijuana responsibly.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.